0: I've experienced a lot of darkness in my own life and seen a lot of darkness while doing this internship. But I am so thankful that I'm able to use my experiences with darkness to share in the darkness of others and show them that they are not alone, to help be that light and show them that there is hope for all of us, no matter how dark and painful our lives have been. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, Youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices.
1: You have organizations out there like the Centre for Bioethical Reform.
2: The Centre for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like
1: the Centre for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then... All kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto.
2: I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion.
1: Today we were doing Choice Chain in downtown
0: Regina.
2: By the end of the conversation she was completely pro-life.
0: He then walked away 100% pro-life.
2: Completely pro-life.
1: We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show, and I am joined once again by the co-host, my good friend, Cameron. Cam, good to see you.
1: Good to be back, my friend. It is October in Calgary. We got snow last week. We're coming with more snow tomorrow, but that is not deterring us in our activism. We were up in Edmonton last week, um, working with a community group up there, changing some minds up there. Uh, We trained a new guy for Vancouver last week as well. And so things are happening in Western Canada. It's an exciting time to be part of CCBR. And I'm excited to be back on, especially for today, because we had a pretty cool uh, guest coming on today.
0: Yeah, that's right. And the opening quote that I shared was from her. Uh, Our guest, Auda Navas, uh, did the internship for us uh, last year in the East here in Ontario. And during the internship, she wrote a blog post, as we'll talk about with her a little bit later. And that was one of the quotes that she shared in the blog post. I don't want to to add too much. I don't want to take away from the conversation that we're going to have with Oda, uh, but I do want to introduce her. Uh, did the internship with us, and uh, one of the cool things about her, I, I don't know if she'll mention this, uh, but she was the MC for the Toronto March for Life. The very first one that happened in 2019. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, I think that's sweet. I don't know if she'll mention it. So let's dive into the conversation. Oda, good to see you. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: No, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Raving reviews. I've heard great things.
0: <laughs> oh, that, that's so good to hear. We are excited to have you on and to, to hear your stories and to learn a little bit about you. So to start us off, could you share a little bit about who you are and how you got in, uh, involved in the pro-life movement?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, So where to start? There's a lot of things. (laughs) I'm going to try to condense it into a minute or two. Um, So my name is Auda. I go to York University and I'm a human rights and equity studies major. I actually, fun fact, live in a house with five other girls. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, How I got involved in the pro-life movement. So I grew up with a pretty religious background. I grew up in a semi-Catholic household where pro-life was kind of just a given. Um, my mom was pro-life. My dad was pro-life. Like, they think abortion is wrong. So hence, I grew up thinking abortion was wrong. Um, but when I got to high school, I had some friends that actually were okay with abortion. They said, you know, it's a woman's right to choose. Like, you know, you can't take that choice away from women woman because, we want to be able to give women that opportunity to um, choose themselves if that's what they wanted to do to be successful to um, be able to be strong and independent, etc et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So a lot of conflicting views. Um, I had a, a time in high school where I was like, okay if you know abortion is about giving a woman like a right to choose for them to feel empowered, to feel independent and strong in a society that's constantly, "Quote unquote against women." Um, then I'm for it. I'm pro-choice, but I didn't really know uh, what that word actually meant. So I grew up uh, with that notion throughout high school, and then when I got to grade 12, I had one of my friends who went through a miscarriage. I was the it was a really uh, hard story actually. I was the only one off during one of my periods uh, in school. And one of my friends just calls me. She's like, where are you? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm just sitting in the cafeteria on my off period trying to study. And she's like, I need you to take, um, our friend to the walk-in clinic down the street. And I'm like, why? What's going on? And she's like, I don't know, but there's something wrong. So as I'm walking her down, she's just like trying to play it off cool, um, acting like everything's okay. But once we get there, I realized that, she was going through a miscarriage and that was something that was really hard to see because although she was only 18 at the time I knew that she really wanted that baby I knew that she really wanted her baby and that was something that to me I was like we live in a world where there are some women that unfortunately go through a miscarriage and can't have their baby and they're torn to shreds over that but then there are other women in this world that just want to get rid of their babies because it's not convenient I was like really confused at that point a couple of months later I ended up going to the national march for life and my intentions to go to the march for life weren't completely pro-life or pure my friend and I had just turned 18 a couple of months before and we wanted to cross over to Quebec to buy our first legal drinks so we saw that as an opportunity to go (laughs) But, you know, like (laughs) things worked out very differently because although we did get to go do that in Quebec, we had our first legal drink. We celebrated that we were able to buy it on our own. Um, We came back on time for the march and that was the first time that I saw abortion victim photography. And when I saw that, I didn't really have like the strong, like sobbing, like, oh, my gosh, like, what the heck kind of reaction. I I was very angry. I was really, really angry because um, a couple of years before I had found out that my mom had had a miscarriage and seeing those images and seeing, you know, there are some women in this world that can't have children that, that, that unfortunately go through a miscarriage. How are there, are there women who just choose to kill their babies because it's convenient for them because they don't want that child. Right. So I was really confused. I was really angry. Um, but I didn't do anything with it. I, I was like, okay, like, you know what? Abortion is wrong, but that's about it. So for about two years, I kind of went on with my life still with that in the back of my mind, still remembering the abortion victim photography. And when I came to my second year at York, um, The previous president of the pro-life club at York, she was stepping down and she was a friend of mine at the time. So she had asked me to come to uh, the aid to woman clinic where she was working. She asked me to volunteer and to be one of the people who just prays in front of the clinic and just stands there, you know, as a witness to life. And I did that. And it was a very emotional, emotional experience for me. I, I really, um, Definitely took a hard stand against abortion personally, but I had no idea what to do with that. <laughs> so, when she asked me to become the president of the pro life club to take over for her, I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm gonna do it. I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no training. I have, I have no idea what to say to someone who thinks that abortion is fine, but I'm gonna do it because this is wrong and I have to do something. Um, I have to stand up. Against this injustice. So from then, from there, I got connected with uh, Toronto Right to Life. I got connected with CCBR. I was able to get some basic apologetics training, and yeah, after that, I think it was two years later. I decided to do the CCBR internship, the four month uh, internship in the GTA, and that was probably one of the hardest summers of my life. But I do not regret it at at all. I learned so many things and I grew so much as a person and as a pro-life activist and as a woman, like I I grew in so much respect for the pro-life movement. I definitely think that abortion, (laughs) compared to like maybe five, six years ago, abortion doesn't empower women at all. I feel more empowered by the pro life movement than by abortion supporters and pro choicers. So, yeah, that's how I got involved in the movement.
1: That's awesome. That is so cool to hear that kind of a journey towards the pro-life movement. I mean, we for the, the different guests we've had on, the different interns that both Peter and I have had the pleasure of working with, it's really neat to see how people have eventually made their way towards making such a sacrifice and such a commitment towards defending the weakest and most vulnerable. That there's some people out there that that started doing pro-life activism when they were like 13 years old or whatever Vanessa was when, when she first got involved and then there's people like me that didn't get involved until university and and similar story to you and so i i think that can be really edifying for a lot of people who maybe feel like they they haven't taken the the straightest course towards pro life engagement maybe they are a little bit embarrassed about the journey that they've taken i think that's so cool how you you found your way towards not only doing an internship but taking on leadership within your university club and and really making this a priority for the the work that you're doing. I'm, I'm sure that this even bleeds over into the degree that you're doing. You said that it was a, a human rights and equity um, program, right?
2: Yeah. So it, it's really funny because I started off at York as a as a music student. <laughs> I my my intention wasn't at all to go into human rights and equity studies. in In, in high school, I did want to go into criminology, but not. For pro-life reasons, more because I wanted to be a lawyer um, when I was in high school. But I got somehow along the way. I ended up taking music, and while I was in there, I was, I was like, okay, like you know what? I figured out that music wasn't really for me, and I was, I was kind of having a breakdown at that point. I'm like, what am I going to do with my life if music is not what I'm going to do in university? But you know what? Like. God is good, <laughs> and Amen. It's, he's he's amazing because it was through the pro life movement that I discovered um, this path to human rights and equity studies. I discovered that I really wanted to be able to stand up for human beings, for for any for any and all human beings at whatever at whatever stage of life. Um, God. Was currently calling me at the moment to stand up for pre children i don't know where he's taking me now he's definitely taking me on a different journey now but all i know is i'm that that's the purpose of my life to stand up for others who can't speak up for themselves um and that was all thanks to the pro-life movement i wouldn't have discovered that path if it wasn't for the movement yeah
0: yeah that's that's uh that's amazing thanks for sharing you mentioned the internship and the internship is something that is extremely close to my heart. I've been a part of internships since 2015 and uh, I-, I love them. There's an internship happening right now that I'm a part of and I'm super thankful about that. Uh, but but the internship is different than a lot of other programs. Um, you know, we run a number of things that are a week long or perhaps the March for Life is a day long. And, and all of these uh, perhaps are good in their own right. But the internship is a four month program. You you you. Uh, You know, you were in school, so at the end of your your last exam, you probably had a few days off. Then you joined the internship, and you did that until you went back to class in September. Uh, So a much bigger commitment than a lot of the other programs and options that are available to you. Could you you speak a little bit to your experience in the internship? Um, Just share a little bit about... uh, yeah, uh, about uh, what you liked about the internship and, and some of the things that you learned.
1: Peter Peter also told me that he's been having a bit of a rough week, and so I think that he was your intern director, and so maybe pump his tires a little bit just <laughs> while you're explaining, sharing about the internship, just so that he he really knows how how incredible of a team member
0: he is at CCBR. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Cam.
2: I can definitely <laughs> say that Peter is a great internship director. <laughs> yeah, well, he was Thank my you. he Thank was you. my only internship director, but you were great at it. <laughs>
0: thank you yeah
2: yeah very easygoing very caring um very supportive of the interns um great
0: haircut too right like
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh yeah 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 because i i sometimes i can get intimidated by uh figures of authority but definitely i did not feel that with peter at all like i definitely felt um like like I could definitely talk to him and relate to him a lot during the internship. So you are a great internship director,
0: Peter. Sweet, thank you. That's uh, yeah, thank you, and uh, Cam, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's let's go back to the original question, uh, shall we? Uh, about the internship itself, I, I'm honored that uh, you thought I was a great internship director. I I loved having you as an intern. Uh, and the entire team. We had a phenomenal team last year. Yep. Not comparing to other teams because uh, we always have phenomenal teams here <laughs> at the internship. But uh, could you share like some of your experiences? What were some of the things that you loved doing? Ways that you were stretched and so
2: on. Yeah, yeah. I really loved. There's there's many aspects that I loved about the internship. Um, one of the one of the big aspects for me was like the community, the people I was working with, because I guess for a long time while I before. I came to the internship uh, when I first started my journey within the pro-life movement in my second year of university. There was some times where I felt pretty lonely. There was some times where I'm like, I'm the only one with this opinion. Like I stick out like a sore thumb. Like, yeah, I have some friends that are pro-life, but like not all of them are as like passionate or as deeply, heavily involved as I am. So I can't just like talk to anyone when I'm when I'm not doing okay or when I need support. So having that community, like all of the interns, all of the staff, um, it was really uplifting because they knew everyone knew exactly what you were going through. Like we were all breathing the same air, like experience, having the same experiences like it was It was something that was really unique and I've never experienced before. So for me, the community was really important because after a long day of like, it's been raining, like it's been cold, like you didn't have that, that many amazing conversations. You can go home and like have people to talk, sit down and talk down, sit down and talk with, um, who know exactly what it's like, like that, that for me was really, was really good. Um, so, yeah, the community was a, a really good aspect. Some of the conversations I also had, like, they were – some of them are, were mind-blowing. Um, I I really did not see, like, <laughs> how well my gifts could be used um, in my life until I did uh, the internship. Because, you know, I – I'm Colombian. So just to give a little background, I'm Colombian. Um, I grew up speaking Spanish my entire life. I uh, studied French in school. So languages have sort of been my thing for most of my life. Um, I've been pretty good at translating. I've been pretty good at um, speaking to other people in different languages. So that's something I sort of considered one of my strengths, but it definitely became one of my biggest strengths in the internship because I was able to have conversations with people in both Spanish and French, uh, French in Ottawa when we went to Ottawa that week. (laughs) It was a very intense week. But yeah, when having those conversations, like I, I was really able to use that gift that was given to me to be able to speak in other languages and to to be able to change someone's mind in Spanish. I still, I still remember that one of the conversations that stuck out the most to me was a girl who was like mostly pro-choice and it took about 20 minutes to talk to her while I was standing there with the AVP sign on that street corner in North York. Um, But by just like going through all the arguments with her in Spanish, giving her all the analogies, like she went from pro-choice to pro-life within 20 minutes all because I was able to speak Spanish. She was gonna avoid me because she didn't think I spoke Spanish, but I was able to pick up her accent and just start that conversation. And that was just incredible. Um, Yeah, so some of the conversations uh, were really incredible. Some of them were hard, um, but even the hard conversations, like I was able to learn more about myself and more of how to empathize and talk to people that are going through something hard. Um, so I think that's, that's what I took the most from uh, the internship. I think the ways that it stretched me the most is how long it was and how, <laughs> how many hours <laughs> we have to do it for. <laughs> um, I know, I think one of the biggest challenges for me at the beginning was that I was commuting back and forth from uh, Toronto to Mississauga for the first month. And that was really hard on my body and on my mind. I wasn't really sleeping that well. I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really that energized throughout the day because of that. So eventually I moved in with the rest of the interns. Um, but yeah, the hours were long. So I think that's, that's what stretched, um, stretched me in that sense. I guess spiritually too, um, we, we confront a lot of like darkness, not, 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 I guess, not for mostly for ourselves, but mostly on behalf of the people that we talk to, like all the stories we hear, all the emotions we deal with. Um, so I guess for me, that's, that's something that really stretched me a bit, having to experience that and then having to, you know, internalize it and process it and be like, you know what, um, at least I was able to have a conversation with someone and be that, shoulder to cry on or that ear that they needed, um, to like, just let out their emotions and let out their thoughts and their feelings. Um, so even though it was hard, there were things that stretched me. I was still able to grow and learn from them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We, we often say, uh, for the internship, that it's probably going to be one of the hardest things you've done. Uh, one of the hardest summers you've had, but one of the best. Could you say that as well?
2: Honestly? Yes. Yes, it was it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had because I not not in like the happy kind of like joyful go lucky sense <laughs> best, but more of like I found a lot of personal growth Um, in that. Like when I go back and reflect on that summer, like there was so many, so many ways that I grew as like a person that I grew as a human being. Um, that I grew as a woman, that I grew as a student, because we were learning all the time during the internship, like we were reading books, writing papers, like analyzing things, learning arguments like that really helped me as well to prepare me for my human rights and equity studies program, because I was just going into it right after the internship. (laughs) So it really, it gave me so much. And yeah, like it gave me so much. It, it it definitely helped me on the emotional sense to empathize more with people as well, and to be more sensitive to other people's sufferings, um, and other what other people are going through. Um, it definitely was the hardest summer of my life, but the best.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. You you mentioned that a few times now about uh, talking to people in difficult circumstances, empathizing with the suffering that uh, other people are facing. And you wrote an article about that, a blog post during the internship, which was one of the assignments, uh, but a phenomenal blog post at that. And you titled it Sharing in Darkness in the article. Yeah, in for that sure. so... blog post, you outlined a conversation that you had with uh, a, a young girl at a high school that you did Choice Chain at, which was one of the projects that we do during the internship. Could you, could you uh, share with us about that conversation uh, that you had written down,
2: that conversation was one of my hardest conversations that summer. It was looking back on it, it was one of the most intense emotionally for me, but one of the most edifying as well as a person you know i've like i like I've mentioned in that article, like I have experienced a lot of like Darkness, a lot of pain and suffering in my own life, and up until that point, I had been sharing it quite a bit with some some friends, my boyfriend, um, but I wasn't really open about it with people. There was still a lot of like shame, a lot of um, pain attached to it. But I was really amazed at how I was able to use that experience to reach someone. Even if this person didn't completely become 100% pro-life, I was still able to speak to them and come down to their level and relate to them. So yeah, so essentially during my first month in the internship, we did a choice chain at a high school. I don't remember exactly where this choice chain was, but yeah, it was was really intense from the very start of it. As soon as we got uh, out of the car, we unloaded and we got onto the sidewalk and all of the students were coming out from the high school for their lunch break. Things are really intense. Like the environment was really tense, really heated. Um, we had a lot of students that were very, uh, not necessarily, not rowdy, but like, yeah, but r- rowdy, um, really aggressive, really emotional and heated. And I was kind of uncomfortable from the beginning <laughs> of that choice chain. Um, So yeah, so we set up and I was towards a side where I wasn't really getting that many conversations. Not a lot of people were coming to me. And I noticed that one of my male colleagues was getting really harassed by a group of girls. Like they were just yelling and insulting him. And I felt so bad. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to move over there and see if I can maybe get a couple of them off of him so Uh, he wouldn't have to (laughs) endure as much. So I went in there. And for a second in my mind, I kind of regretted it because I immediately started getting attacked. But then as um, time was going on, and as we were being called every single name of the book, like I just remember all I can remember all the swear words that were being thrown at our face. I noticed that there was one girl that was really really emotional really really heated and aggressive and i felt like she was gonna punch us in the face like like i was kind of terrified um so yeah so she moved over from my male colleague and came over to me and then started insulting me and harassing me and everything and i was like "Ooh, this is this is gonna be a rough one um but then she left and her friends kind of stayed back and I started to have a conversation with them. And I was getting somewhere with her friend, like her friend was kind of understanding and was still bringing up um, some arguments. But then we kept on getting interrupted by the same girl. And I'm like, this girl is like, really passionate about her stance really heated. Like there's something there's something off here. Like she wouldn't be as heated if this wasn't personal for her. So. I sort of started to think about that and reflect on that as I was talking to her friend. Um, and I remember the other girl who was really, really heated. She kept on pointing back to my male colleague and would say, like, like I don't want a man to tell me what to do with my body. I don't want him to t- to to force me to, to not have an abortion. Like, she was going off about, like, this whole man w- versus woman thing. And she wasn't really responding to any of like the questions I was asking her or, or, or the conversation I was trying to have. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna stick with her friend. So I started to dialogue with her friend and um, kind of explain to her why we were there, what her stance was. I, I let her ask me a couple of questions. And she was like, you know what? Like This can be very traumatizing for some of the girls that are here. Like You don't know how much they've endured. Like Some of them could have been sexually assaulted. Um, And this can be very triggering for them. And I was like, yeah, and and you know what, like, I understand that. And, and I don't want anyone here to feel traumatized. I don't want anyone here to feel like we're shaming them to feel like we're, (laughs) like, we're just here to make them feel bad. Um, And she, she, she started to understand that through like my tone of voice and, and through the way that I was uh, trying to talk to her. Eventually, with her, uh, with that friend that I was kind of getting somewhere with, I shared with her that I had experienced sexual assault myself when I was 18 years old, uh, when I was finishing up high school. And that, for me, uh, wasn't an easy conversation to have. It was something that I had shared with other people before, but I had never talked to a stranger about it. I had never shared it <laughs> in activism before that way. But in sharing that, I saw that I was able to make some headway with the friend and that she really saw that I was able to understand where she was coming from and where some of the girls that were really heated were coming from as well. Um, I tried sharing that with the girl who was really heated, who was really like emotional, and she really didn't respond to it at all. She kept on going back and forth between people, so I just let her go, and I continued talking with a friend who I was making headway with, and I told her, you know, like I told, tried to tell her friend, who was really heated, being a woman who has been sexually assaulted isn't something that's easy. It's something that is very traumatic. It's something that is very, it really wounds and scars you, and It's something that's really hard to come back from and to heal from. And unfortunately, it changes the way that you see the world and that you see people. Um, And that's what it did for me. So I shared shared that with her. And I told her, you know, I know this from my own personal experience. And I also know that abortion is never going to change what happened. It's never going to take away that trauma. It's never going to help a woman heal from that experience. So, this friend who I was able to have this conversation with um, was understanding where I was coming from, was understanding what i what I was saying, and I knew that her heart started to change because she was her whole demeanor changed like her 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 voice got softer she she got a lot nicer um, but then she asked me like this really hard question, well, what about an eleven year old girl um who experiences sexual assault and conceives in sexual assault. I knew she was asking out to see if my answer would change, if my opinion would shift, um, and that if my answer didn't really change, then she could prove that I was wrong, right? She could prove that, you know, like abortion is the way to deal with this. So at that moment, I felt very compelled to share something that I didn't really share with people, not no one in my life really knew, not even my mom at that time. She knows now, but I, at that time, she didn't really know um, that I had actually experienced sexual assault as well when I was three years old. So that for me was something that was um, really hard to share. But as soon as I shared that with that friend, I saw understanding just like all over her face she was speechless but she understood what i was saying and when that friend who was very heated and agitated and emotional and aggressive came over again to insult me she grabbed her by the arm and told her like she understands just listen to her and the rest of that conversation was a little bit blurry but i do remember a couple of things um i remember that the girl who was very very heated who i felt was going to punch me in the face just started breaking down and she told me that she herself had experienced sexual assault and in that moment I just knew I knew that it was because of that that she was like her her defenses were up that why she was being so aggressive and why she was trying to you know scare us away um and I think once she started talking I started crying with her Because I was like, I can relate to what she's talking to. I know exactly how she felt and how she feels. And then she told me, you know, I've never told this before to anyone. You're the first person I've ever told. And I was just speechless. I was speechless and in awe of this complete stranger being so vulnerable and open with another stranger on a street. I've never experience I don't think a lot of internships in it sorry a lot of interns um have that much of an of an experience with a stranger on the streets someone being so vulnerable and telling you something they've never told someone else before so that was really that left me speechless um she told me that not even her friends knew and I really did see that raw pain in her eyes I knew in that moment that it was something that she still hadn't been able to heal from So that really broke my heart, um, seeing her that way. It really did break my heart. I asked her then why she had never shared that with anyone. And she told me something that just, just echoed in my ears for days after that conversation. She said, I'm a girl. No one is ever going to listen to me. And I was just brought back to being 18 years old after the matter had happened and thinking that I'm a girl. No one's ever going to listen to me. They're going to think it's my fault. And I I was like, you know what? Someone wasn't there to tell me what I'm about to tell this girl at that moment. But I'm going to be this person to share this truth that needs to be spoken to her. So in that moment, I took a second. I was still crying. I cried throughout this entire conversation from that point onward. I told her. What happened to you is not your fault and you are not alone. And I'm here and I'm listening. In that moment, I turned my sign away because, you know, it wasn't really good in that moment for me to keep that sign, to have that sign there in the middle of my conversation. So I turned the sign around and I just kept on saying that over and over again and again. What happened to you is not your fault. You're not alone. I'm listening. And after a while, she kept on talking some more. Um, She kept on opening up and she calmed down. She went from being this aggressive, um, emotional person who could have punched me in my face to someone who was just so vulnerable and showing so much weakness, yet so much strength in that moment by sharing her experience with me. Eventually, after she calmed down, she said, you know, I never really want to see your guy friend here, but if you ever want to come back and talk with me, I'll definitely sit down and have a coffee with you because you're really nice and sweet. And that's how my conversation ended because the teachers all pulled all the students away um, shortly after that. And unfortunately, I was never able to really keep in touch with her. But that conversation really stood out to me because if I hadn't shared that experience, that darkness that I had gone through, um, that I was still healing from during that internship. I would have never been able to de-escalate that situation and had her understand that I was there with her and I was, I was there for her. Because in that moment, I realized, you know, yes, we're here to stand up for preborn babies who don't have a voice, who can't speak up for themselves. But in this moment, I also need to be there for the woman that's in front of me. I need to be there showing her that I care about her and that she's as equally important as this baby whose image I'm holding. It's definitely the converse, one of the conversations that stands out to me the most from that summer. And I'm very thankful that I was able to have that conversation because I was able to make a difference, even if I didn't fully change her mind on the issue of abortion. I at least taught her that, you know, pro-lifers do care about women. Um, and do care about women that have gone through, um, these difficult circumstances.
1: A hundred percent. I, I, I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing that experience about your experience, the courage that it takes to, to have that degree of vulnerability, not, not only just now talking to Peter and I, and, and to the listeners on this podcast, but also, and especially, um, for that woman in that circumstance, right. That, um, I mean, a, a lot of different C C B R people will will share this line and and I don't know who who it was that thought of it. I, I often attribute it to Micah because she's super smart and and thinks of these wonderful things. But when people ask us about really hard situations like sexual assault, they're often not asking about whether or not that preborn child has a heart, but whether or not we as pro lifers have hearts. And I think that obviously you demonstrated that so beautifully through your own vulnerability, through your own courage and sharing your experience and the journey that you've had navigating through those experiences and and integrating that with your pro-life experience and and engagement and opportunity. I think that's just so beautiful that you were able to really kind of break down a barrier, to to really break down a stereotype of the pro-lifer who just wants to stand on a soapbox and preach and condemn and even those that have, have well-meaning hearts and just engage intellectually, realizing that we need to do more than just what we call at, at CCBR, have those head conversations, really just talk through the arguments and, and show that you genuinely care, that not only can you relate to the pain and the darkness that um, this this girl had herself experienced, but that you genuinely wanted to listen. I, I think that line is so important and, and I, I would definitely recommend listeners to to write that down, whether whether on a sticky note in your wallet or on your mirror or whatever sort of thing. What happened to you is not your fault. You are not alone. I am here and I am listening. How important is that for so many people in society to hear? Like you said, um, it wasn't only this conversation, you, you saw a lot of darkness, Peter and I see a lot of darkness, when we're having conversations as well. And I think that's so beautiful and so important to keep not simply in the back of our minds, but in the front of our minds when we're having these conversations that we need to engage the whole person that we're interacting with, because if that mother, if that woman doesn't have value herself, how could her preborn child have value? And so, thank you. Ultimately, thank you for for that courage and in, in sharing with us, and um and sharing with our listeners as well.
2: Yeah, no problem. It's honestly my pleasure to share that. And it, like like you said, it's it's very it's very important to show women in general that they're not any less like important than the preborn child. They're just as important, just as important. So i'm i'm really I'm really happy and blessed to have had that chance to be able to do that
1: yeah mm-hmm. and and i can I'm sure that this this testimony this story resonates deeply to the hearts of of so many people who are going to listen to this and um people that you've known friends and and fellow interns and even c s p r staff members right like Peter and I have a tremendous amount that we can continue to learn. And I guess I to follow that up, I would I'd be curious into your insight into you have this beautiful story that you can share when you're having conversations. Are there any kind of whether it's practical tips or pointers or suggestions or insights that you can have for people who may themselves not have had that experience? Obviously, we 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 thank the lord that that there are people who haven't had that experience. And we thank the Lord that people who have like yourself are able to use that experience for the protection of of God's children and and um, other human beings, mothers and children and women and and everyone. for those who haven't themselves had an experience like that. are there things that you can suggest for their conversations and how they can demonstrate a compassionate heart that actually wants to journey with not only victims of this terrible, terrible crime, but also just, um, helping the person they're talking to understand that they do genuinely care about them and their welfare. Are there, are there suggestions that you would have for people on that note?
2: I think it's very, very important. Um, first of all, to be aware of body language. That's something that has really helped me, uh, in my time during activism is like just examining people's body language. Like, are they tense or do they look just relaxed? Like, what is what are their facial expressions? Like, are they like fidgeting? Are they being aggressive or are they just being very calm? Um, I think body language can tell us a lot about a person and can tell us a lot about what they're feeling and experiencing when you're having those conversations. And can sort of help you to prepare yourself if you notice, like, you know, they're really tense, they're really agitated, they're really heated, like their facial expressions are like angry or sad or whatever. Um, it can sort of help to pinpoint if your conversation is going to be a hard conversation or not. At least it's helped me in that sense. I think for people who haven't had these hard experiences, always being very soft and gentle with what you're saying is very, very important because when you're all like uh, talking really fast and talking really loudly and being just like very bam, 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 like head apologetics kind of thing, like you can really come off as someone that doesn't care. (laughs) It's really easy to come off as someone that doesn't care. And I know that because I've actually made that mistake before in activism, um when I was first starting out, some conversations did not go the way I wanted them to go because I wasn't fully aware of those um like cues, those like body cues, those voice cues, those face facial expressions. Um so I just went straight on with head apologetics. But as time went by, I noticed, you know, the key to showing someone that you care is by you yourself, like softening your voice, like being very caring with your words, um, making sure that you're not ever attacking woman or seeming like you're going to attack a woman through your words. Like, oh yeah, no, but like, she might've done this or she might've done that. Like, no, like you're here um, to show this person that you care about them, no matter what they've done, right. Never condemning them for if and con- condemning them or condemning a woman in your um, analogies or in your situations for the actions that they've taken or the decisions that they've made, right? Um, I think those things are very important. I also think that if you do notice that someone is, um, uh, what do you call it? If, if you do notice that someone is getting very emotional and very heated or just maybe crying or breaking down, putting the sign aside is always a good idea. Um, because that can take the conversation from still being an argument to just being a simple and you know vulnerable conversation. Um, it can really help someone to open up.
0: Yeah. yeah. When you talk about being caring in a conversation and uh, showing them that you actually care, I think of conversations that I've heard conversations that I've seen on social media where uh, the the pro-lifer, the person in the conversation with great intentions uh, shrug off the, the, you know, the challenge of, uh, abortion as justification for sexual assault by saying that um, you know some of the stats that they've heard and even the Guttmacher Institute, which is uh, the Planned Parenthood research arm, uh, a study showed that less than 1.5 percent of women who are seeking abortion have become pregnant, pregnant as a result of rape or incest. And um, I've heard 1.5, I've heard less than one percent. And so while this may be true, uh, bringing this up and saying like. You know, not not caring about the situation, not showing that you're concerned about the actual person, uh, but saying, but look at the stats. Like, how can you be so, you know, horrible to say that in 98.5 percent of situations that abortion should be okay?" Um, But, yeah, just just that being said, what one of the things that you're you're really trying to highlight is, um, you know, even though that even though this situation might be rare that someone is seeking an abortion for this reason, um, it, it makes the experience No less real. It makes the trauma no less real, and uh, it makes the road to recovery no less easier. And so, um, yeah, I really, I really like that that you're highlighting the importance of showing that you are a person that cares for them. Uh, They not only care for the humanity of the preborn child, but you're also concerned about their well-being as they have a conversation with you at that moment.
2: Yes, I I definitely agree, And and I just go back to something that Cam was saying earlier. It's really important to show them that. Yes, we care about the beating heart of a preborn child, but we also have to show them that we have a heart as well, right? And whenever I think about those stats and like bringing it up in conversation, I don't like bringing this, that, those stats up in conversation when someone brings up the difficult circumza- circumstance of sexual assault, because I feel like it's just, I don't know, like I feel like it's very inhumane sometimes to bring it up. It's like, oh yeah, but the stats say this, like, no, like, it doesn't matter what the stats are saying, like women are still experiencing these situations, right? And we have to show them that no matter what the stats say, that situation is still difficult. And we should still help that woman no matter what, right? So I I, I definitely, definitely agree with what you're saying, Peter. Um, It's very important.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of ties into a theme that um, I mentioned to Peter that, that I've been trying to tie into the workshops that I've been giving. I was in Winnipeg a couple of weeks ago um, doing a crash course there and, and really kind of sharing this idea of not kind of falling to the temptation of either refuting or resolving the scenario, but really relating to the person. And those three R's, refute, resolve, relate. You don't want to do the first two. You don't want to refute the legitimacy of their argument by saying, oh, 1.5%, blah, blah, blah. Because it it rejects the idea that not only could they themselves have been within whatever percentage it may be. And I think it's important to recognize both from what you said and from what a, a ton of statistics indicate that the likelihood of that percentage actually being accurate, there's a... A horrifying number of women who, for a variety of reasons, don't even share the fact that they have experienced this trauma in their life, right? And so whether it's because they're worried about the backlash from whomever the the perpetrator was, or whether it's because they don't want to go through the the ridiculous um, hoops that our legal or justice system um, inflict upon them, I I would not be surprised at all if that whatever 1.5% was a 10th, a a 20th of what the actual number was, because these women are simply trying to move on with their lives in in some kind of meaningful way. But, but with that, not refuting, not resolving, really trying to relate to the person and, and understand. And, and basically I, I try to make the assumption that until I'm proven otherwise, the circumstances that this person is bringing up, they have lived through, or they know somebody who's lived through them. I, I think that is a great rule of thumb to work with, that un- unless you've been, been told otherwise, unless they've told you that they're making a purely academic argument, you have to assume that this is something that they can relate to on a personal level.
2: Yeah, and and, and I definitely, I, I come to think of it this way with the the stats that you're bringing up, um, Cam, that there are actually quite a couple of women in my own life that I know that have experienced it as well. Um, and I, I I strongly believe that everyone in their life will know at least one woman who has gone through it, It, not even knowing that she's gone through it. Right. Because most women don't really share it. Like you were saying, like there is many social implications. There's many like legal implications if you're going to go down that road. Um, I know for me, the reason I didn't wanna share it is because of shame. That's also a reason why, right? So yeah, we we always have to be very, very mindful and careful when we're having conversations with people about this issue, because it can be very, very personal. If you don't mind me sharing, I, I do have one story of before I did the internship. <laughs> I think this was within my first or second year as president at York and I still, didn't hadn't really received a lot of heart apologetics training. Um, we had a girl in a uh, hall, which is one of the most well-known buildings in our university. Um, it's like a very round hall kind of building, and we were just tabling. We don't table with AVP at York um, because of the policies. So we we didn't even have any AVP at all. We had maybe some pre uh, prenatal development images um on the poster and stuff like that and um one of the other interns or should i say one of the other team leaders who was one of my team leaders her her name is nina nina govert and she's amazing her and i have actually known each other for quite a bit maybe like two, two, three years now um, and i knew her way before i did the internship she's the one that actually encouraged me to do the internship the year that I did it because she had done it the previous year. But before she did the internship, we had a really hard conversation with the girl at the university who just blew up over the fact that we were just pro-life. And I remember that conversation being one of the more intense conversations. She was just screaming and yelling and. I remember I was saying, I don't know what to do. I At that point, I hadn't received a lot of hard apologetics, but I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this situation. And her friend, who ended up being one of my friends who was in one of my classes, she comes over and she's like, oh, like, she's my friend. She's like upset um, because she had also gone through sexual assault. And she, not only has she gone through that, she had experienced a lot of like negativity in her life. Like Her family wasn't really supportive. She, there was a whole thing about her conception story and how her family wasn't happy with her being there and stuff. It was a very complicated situation. And I just knew from talking to my friend who was also friends with that girl that this girl had experienced so much suffering in her life and so much rejection and so much pain. Um so when she came over to me in that moment and this is not really knowing that much of hard apologetics I threw all of the apologetics aside and just dealt with her as a as a person and as a woman and I told her you know what like I don't care what your stance is I don't really care what you think about me but I want you to know that you are worth it and that you are loved And that no matter what has happened in your life, that doesn't change the fact that you are a wonderful person, that even me talking to you here, like, I can just love you because you're a person that is worth being loved. And I just reminded her of that. And I remember she went from, like, screaming at me to just, like, very softly and quietly talking to me. And. Even though she might have not fully believed what I said, because I know that she was still struggling with, you know, a lot of self-worth issues because of what she had gone through, she still knew in that moment that I cared and that I wasn't going to judge her. And one thing I do want to bring up that I think is very, very, very important, and I learned this the hard way, is that we we often refer to this scenario as sexual assault for a reason. Right. So when we're talking about sexual assault, when someone says, well, what if a woman is raped? We know that that circumstance is very, very hard and that's and we have to make sure to show them that. But as pro-lifers, as activists, we have to be very, very careful when using that word, because that word itself can be very, very triggering for a woman who has actually gone through that. And I've learned that the hard way. There are some conversations at the beginning of my journey with a pro-life woman where I've used that word and someone will just go off on me for having used it or being like, why, like, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm still learning. But yeah, like it's, it's very important to always refer to this circumstance as sexual assault conceived in sexual assault or just sexual assault, because we don't want to do more damage than good we we want to do more good than damage right in our conversations
0: yeah i i love this i i've been thinking um again about conversations i've heard before and people i've talked to and and pro-lifers who just seem to be discouraged about having conversations about abortion because they haven't changed anyone's mind they haven't uh you know th- it just seems like there's never fruitful conversations and one of the things i'm getting from you Oda, is uh, by relating to the person, by um, really, really seeking to understand and show that you care, you can bring a very tense situation and a very difficult conversation in terms of, yeah, just people going at you and, and um, trying to get you to be quiet at, at uh, all costs. Taking a conversation like that to be a good and fruitful and winsome and an effective conversation, a conversation where you are able to relate you're able to have a good back and forth and a conversation where you don't give up on the truth about what abortion really is right it's it's not a matter of of giving up your position to to care for them but uh, going into the conversation with the rea- the truth of the, the reality that abortion ends the life of a human being but still being able to care and show concern for the person that you're talking to that's one thing that really really comes out from what i'm hearing uh in the conversations you have and that you've been sharing about and i'm sure you can share many 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 more conversations uh because you've been doing this for a while and, and you have many conversations so but yeah I, I think for the listeners that's one of the things that's really important we mentioned here at ccbr that we you know you you, you join us in our internships you join us in the program so we do and you'll learn how to you are learn how to change people's minds about abortion. You'll experience this. You'll talk to people and you'll see their minds change uh, because of the the things that you learn. And that's one of those things uh, is to really um, care and, and show concern for the people that you're talking to. So thank you so much for that. That's uh, yeah, that's really, really helpful. I
2: have one last thing to say. It's something that you were saying, like, you know, sometimes people get discouraged by not changing someone's mind in a conversation. Um, I, I know that I've experienced that. I know that it can be kind of discouraging, but something that some of my friends have reminded me constantly of, it's like, it's not always your job to change someone's mind. Sometimes your job is just to plant the seed, right? And that's how I look back on those conversations where, you know, I didn't necessarily change someone's mind completely but at least I was able to plant a seed and maybe, you know, some other amazing pro-lifer down the line will be able to do more work on that, on that person than I was able to, um, and just like keep going, like base it off what I was doing. Right. No, no effort is ever wasted. No effort is ever wasted, especially when it's those hard, heart like apologetic, like conversations. Those efforts are never wasted. So
0: yeah, thank you, thank you so much for sharing, and thank you for sharing your story and the stories that you have had on the streets as you've been doing activism. We are we're excited to have you on, and uh, it was a great conversation. So thank you so much, Oda.
2: No, thank you for having me.
0: We are so grateful to have Oda on the podcast. Uh, we're so grateful that she was open to sharing her story to to be not only be vulnerable in the conversations that she has one on one on the streets um, and with her friends. Uh, but also be vulnerable with us and with the world as and with all of you listeners. so we're we're extremely grateful for her uh, showing that we can have good and and meaningful conversations about abortion in light of some of the difficult circumstances that were brought up. And so we're extremely grateful for her, uh, for her example, the her witness, and uh, how she constantly, pushes us all forward in in the way that she does activism and is a real example for many. So thank you so much Oda. You're going to be listening to this later. Uh, thank you so much uh, to, to close things off. Uh, I think cam it'd be good to highlight um, something that we've mentioned on the podcast before. And like we've said, we've mentioned it before. We're going to say it again and it is common ground analogy question. Could you dive us through a little bit, cam, um, yeah, just uh, some of the discussion around using common ground analogy and question. 100%. I, as we've talked about in previous episodes,
1: these are three tools that we can use to effectively break down barriers and bridge the gap between where the person we're, we're talking with is starting at in conversation and where uh, we want to focus the conversation on the humanity of the preborn. Outta covered an awful lot of incredibly valuable um, information with regards to... Um, how to do that. And, and I want to kind of package it um, in, in a, a concise way in, in how I've found some degree of success in being able to relate to people and bridge those gaps. And so if somebody were to bring up to me, I think abortion should be allowed in circumstances of sexual assault. Keeping in mind a lot of the content that um, I would have said, I, I would respond with the common ground and I would draw out the common ground a little bit more and ensure that there's verbal confirmation. For, for all of the circumstances that we encounter, we're going to want to build common ground. But for this one in particular, I want to get verbal confirmation. So I'm going to start by saying something to the effect of, you and I can agree that sexual assault is one of the most heinous crimes in our society, right? Yeah. And we need to be doing more as a society. You and I, together with everyone around us, to prevent it from happening in the first place through education, to punish the guilty perpetrator of this heinous crime to the full extent of the law, and to support those victims of this traumatic experience, right? Getting verbal confirmation on each of those steps to make sure they understand just how opposed to this horrific, traumatic, um, violent act we truly are. Following that up, I'm going to use an analogy to demonstrate the principle that abortion is still not an appropriate solution, even in this horrible situation. And I'll share something to the effect of, imagine a mother with born children was living in an abusive relationship, and yet that abuse didn't begin until after those children were born. Maybe her her partner, her boyfriend, her husband lost his job and became an alcoholic. And... In that, he spiraled into this habit of abuse and violence towards that woman. What are we going to do? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to get that mother, we'll get those children out of that environment, make sure that they're safe. But now, if when that mother looks at her born children, she's no longer reminded of a loving, compassionate, healthy marriage or relationship. She's reminded of a violent abuser. Would we ever consider killing her born children? to help her cope with the reminder of that traumatic relationship? If not, if we're not willing to kill born children because they present a reminder of a traumatic experience, why would we be willing to end the life of a preborn child because they're a reminder of a traumatic experience? We need to offer something better to these mothers, to these women, than saying we're going to help solve the trauma that you endured by killing your preborn child, as our said, you don't um, you don't solve this problem by having an abortion. It's not going to fix that traumatic experience. We need to offer better physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual support to those victims, um, and abortion is not a part of that. And so that is the common ground analogy and question that I would do, um, and I'll tack on as well that if you're talking to somebody who has personally experienced sexual assault, um, the first thing that I would absolutely recommend um, doing is making sure that they're currently safe. Are you still living in this abusive relationship? And if you are, then let's stop talking about abortion and let's get you safe because we care about your value, your dignity and your human rights. If they are in a safe um, environment, if I mean, obviously if they're not, um, what are you going to do you can call 911 obviously you can call the the provincial um helpline for sexual assault victims that sort of thing um if they are then encouraging them to consider what kind of psychological emotional support can they um can they access what is available provincially federally locally all that sort of thing um, but yeah, that, that's the common ground analogy question that I would encourage people to consider using in some of those questions that um, I think are, are paramount if the person you're talking to has personally experienced that traumatic experience, that heinous crime in their own life.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, thank you so much for sharing, Cam. As we've mentioned before, this comes from conversations that we've had on the streets, um, you know, and and things that we've learned while we've been on the streets. So. Very, very good to share. Um, as we conclude, uh, I think there's one thing that you, Cam, would like to mention about a conference that you're speaking at. I I listened to a podcast with you on it on the Strong and Free podcast the other day, Cam, and you just knocked it out of the park. Uh, it was it was so amazing, and I think you know for everyone who who hears your voice regularly, everyone who um, just waits with with. Great anticipation for the next episode so that they can hear what the co-host of the show, Cam, has to say. Uh, they are excited to hear about this opportunity for them to listen to you one extra time. Could you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I I have the incredible opportunity to be one of the presenters at a a conference coming up. It is a virtual Catholic conference put on by Pints with Aquinas. Um, Matt Frad, many of our listeners would likely be familiar with the name Matt Frad and the work that he's done um, combating pornography in contemporary society. He's also done a lot of other work. He's putting on this virtual Catholic conference and I am speaking on how to defend the pro-life worldview using the same apologetics that we use um, in this podcast. This isn't an explicitly Catholic um, talk that I'm doing, um, but particularly for our Catholic guests, I want to encourage you to consider checking out this conference. Not only can you get access to the presentation that I give, uh, we'll have a virtual table there so that you can come and ask questions of myself. Um, you can learn more about the work that we're doing at CCBR, Pro-Life Guys podcast, And not only that, but if you are interested in more than just my talk, if you're interested in learning uh, more from the other presenters who will be there, there's a a long list of incredible presenters on a variety of different topics. Um, if you want to get extended access to the content, I think there's gonna be like 200 some odd presenters at the conference. If you want to be able to download that content and process it in more than just a weekend, um, check out the link that we'll have in our description. Um, by paying for the access to that half of that money will go directly towards the pro-life guys podcast um, which will be an incredible help for us to continue improving this podcast and so yeah i want to invite you to be a part of it come check out my presentation check out the table that i'll be hosting ask any questions that you might have and if you're going to attend the conference for more than just my presentation which i hope that you will um consider um, purchasing the extended access through the link provided um, and have some
0: of that money go towards the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Sweet. Thank you so much for that, Cam. This concludes uh, this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for uh, the support that you guys have shown, the the words of affirmation and the encouragement uh, that we have been receiving from you all uh, during this uh, currently short journey, but hopefully it'll be a, a long journey at some point of doing the podcast. So thank you so much. And we hope you'll tune in again next week. Take care, everyone.